Hey, gang, before we start this episode of the Forgotten Flicks podcast, I know you're, you know, champing at the bit because it's, uh, or chomping if you're really picky. Uh, it's the thing. But before we get started, we have some awesome news. Jason and I are whores. And here's proof. We are, because guess what? Somebody fell asleep at the nomination computer at podcastawards.com and somehow we got nominated for best movie and film podcast of the year. That's crazy. <laughs> what the hell are they thinking? Oh, oh my God. God. You know what? I'm taking it. And if they're falling asleep, I'm milking it for all it's worth. So go to podcastawards.com and vote today. And you know what? Vote tomorrow. And you know what? Vote the day after that. Yes, because you can, you can vote, can every vote day. once a day. Guys, guys, it's like we, we are in Florida. Jason and I are in Florida. You know how it works in Florida. Vote as many That's times right. as you want. Vote and vote often. Yes. That's all I got to say. Yes. But go, go every single day. You can vote once a day all the way until October 27th. No hanging chads. No pregnant chads. No getting chad pregnant. Just no, wait, wait. vote. Yes. I think we should clarify. Um, vote for us. Oh, yo, probably want to mention yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, I really don't care if you, yeah, I don't want you to go vote for anybody else. Vote please. for the whores. Vote for the Forgotten Flicks podcast. Please. Forgotten Flicks, episode 37. The Thing, 1982. Hello and welcome to the second in our ongoing series, our meditative and speculative and... Uh, well, tonight it'll actually be marginally intelligent because we have someone here with a full brain. And it is the second of the October Spooky Flicks Fest episodes. This is The Thing from 1982 is our featured movie that we will be talking about. I am Joel. I probably should mention that. And I am joined, as always, by Jason O'Neill. Hi, Jason. Or are you? You don't know. Uh, <laughs> The drugs are going pretty good tonight, aren't they, buddy? <laughs> yes, apparently Jason yeah. is making it a habit to be sick every single time we record. I think that's good. He's going yeah, for that. Twice actually. out of 35. Yeah. Twice out of 35. I think he's licking the toilet seats at work. Uh, probably what is it, about Saturday? I guess you're going in like Friday evening, Saturday morning, getting, you know, really licking them down good and then letting everything kind of kick in. And then by Tuesday, you're screwed. Actually, not too bad tonight. I'm just a little stuffy. So, yeah. <clears throat> but no, I was making reference to you don't know if it's really me because of our oh, movie tonight. Oh, oh, I should have watched the movie, huh? Yeah, so and uh, uh also we are joined by a special guest, Mr. Dave Becker of DVD Infatuation. Howdy, Dave. Hey, how's it going, guys? Glad to be here. Yes, and uh, Dave uh, is also on a couple uh, where he's been on several podcasts. He's on uh, one currently, right, Dave? Yeah, the Best Picture Podcast. Uh, I do that with uh, with Jason Piles. And I had been on um, well, Planet Macabre and also Horror Jungle, uh, two horror uh, podcasts. Yes, which were excellent. And uh, I still have no idea how uh, your, your, your host, Bill Shetty, was able to control, was it eight you, folks you had on there? There were eight of us, yeah. That, at, um, at the height, there were eight of us at one time on that show. And they... He did a great job. I got to tell you, the, he was even a little, you know, a little nervous for the first episode, but it he did a great job of uh, just keeping control. It's like, it's like herding cats. Yeah. <laughs> Joel has a hard enough time with one. I know, you just really. Can't imagine more than one. I have a hard time, enough time by myself. You kidding me? <laughs> well, then you throw other people into the mix. 
Okay. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go ahead then and just pile right in. We're going to do a little bit of feedback. Uh, uh, one of them is from uh, our, our buddy JV, and the other one is from uh, Peter. And uh, we'll do JV's first because he is actually uh, harking back to, uh, I believe it's the Goonies episode, Jason. He had, he had some interesting words for you specifically. So we'll go ahead and play that first. Hey guys, you know how he is. Jason, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you just don't know how to pick movies. Except for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is a, a nice little movie. I promise I'm not driving right now, by the way. Okay, I lied. But anyway, Space Camp, as we heard, was a bad movie. And The Wizard was also a pretty bad movie. I remember being bored watching it as a child, and I used to love Nintendo games. Like, I saw the movie because it had that new Nintendo game with the guy who puts on the suit with the raccoon tail, which was pretty cool. Um, um, but maybe not another game over there. Oh, and the Power Glove thing. But seriously, it was a big, giant, two-hour-long, boring commercial for the Power Glove and Super Mario Brothers 3. That's all it was. This is one of those cases of cinematic nostalgia since disorder. Yeah. Um, I wanted to let you know that before you thought, oh, I have a free evening. I think I'll watch The Wizard. If I can do anything for you, it is to keep you from watching that movie. Again. Because it may just shadow your fragile psyche. Then again, you did like the Goonies, so you might really like the wizard also. Follow me on Twitter, JVmail, that's J-A-Y-V-M-A-I-L, and I'll answer all of your questions. Thank you, JV. You know what? It doesn't count when you pay people to call in and say that. I, um, excuse me, JFFL, I don't pay people. <laughs> Yeah, I never said that The Wizard was a phenomenally great movie. I just said I liked Fred Savage. So he's right. I agree with him. It was a really long Nintendo commercial. Um, and a stress to say that someone is a savant because they can play Mario Brothers 3 really well. So <laughs> That's a stretch? Oh, damn. <laughs> so, yes, we will now go ahead and follow that uh, enlightening piece of voicemail up with our buddy Peter, who had some comments about The Thing and the upcoming prequel, remake, whatever the hell it is. I'm still not quite sure. So here he is. Hey, guys, it's me. Uh, it's late. It's almost 3 a.m., and I have to get up and you're recording the thing. And what the hell kind of a carpenter fan would I be if I didn't call in when you're recording about the thing? Uh, it, uh, since, well, it's, it's a favorite. It's a carpenter movie, so... Uh, and if you hear something in the mic here, it's because there's, uh, I'm on the balcony and uh, there's a wind here, so uh, never mind. Uh, yeah, what can we say about the thing that hasn't already been said? Nothing, I think. It's a fantastic movie. Not sure about the remake, though. I mean, why? Why? What? What's wrong with the, the well... Well, the original, the, the black and white one, and there's nothing wrong with the Carpenter one, so why a remake? Why? I mean, it looks good, but why? So, well, anyway, it, it's the thing. 
I love that movie. So, um, bye. I have to, I, I should go to bed now. So, bye. I love that whenever Peter calls us, it's like two or three o'clock in the morning in Sweden. <laughs> yeah. Now, is, is Sweden the one with all the windmills? Or am I thinking of somewhere? I'm thinking of... No, that's Holland. Uh, oh, that's right. Never mind. Sorry, sorry, Peter. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> American education system, folks. Yeah. Hard at work. <laughs> yeah. So I just was thinking maybe that's why the wind was blowing into his microphone. Uh, but that joke... There, might, really... be a, there might be a windmill or two there. Yeah, I don't there might know, be. But... There might yeah. be. Yeah. It still, still could be cold and windy there, you know. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. That's where that Swiss Miss hot chocolate comes from, right? <laughs> yes. I think I want to turn this into a podcast where all we do is perpetuate stereotypes and cliches. <laughs> you know, like the majority of movies we talk about. So, Well, you know, interesting. Okay, gentlemen. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and uh, we'll play the trailer for the thing. And then uh, we'll do our usual uh, spoiler alert. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> so, yes, The Thing from 1982, directed by John Carpenter. However, interesting note, not written by. And in fact, I think there's a, there's a running uh, commentary about Carpenter that whenever he doesn't write his own screenplay, the movie is usually on the inferior side of his filmography. Uh, on the which, inferior side? Yes, that, that tends to be the trend. Yeah, several of the movies that he did not write mm. pretty much sucked. Um, <laughs> but but that being, that being said, um, this was written by Bill Lancaster, son of Burt Lancaster. Uh, and, it, and, and another interesting note, I, at least the music is mostly attributed to uh, Ennio, Ennio Morricone. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I really yes. suck at that. Yeah. So, uh, who, of course, you know, most most uh, probably famously known for scoring movies like The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and Dave, Throw Me a Bone, and Help Me Out with some other ones. <laughs> uh, I, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, basically, anything Sergio uh, Leone, he, uh, he uh, I guess, right. did, did the scoring mm -hmm. for. So uh, so it's, it's interesting because this is probably, you know, like, this was definitely Carpenter's first, you know, 
bigger budgeted uh, Hollywood studio type picture. Um, but other than that director role and, of course, producer, and I'm sure he had his fingers in the other pies, but he it's not attributed to him. And up to this point, um, everything he had done, he did everything. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not going to go too in depth into the uh, the casting crew. We'll, I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll discuss all that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and bust out our spoiler alert. And Jason, if you want to go ahead and jump right in the synopsis, so we can get into the the nitty gritty and the guts of this thing. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Spoiler alert, please. Yeah, huh. uh, Jason, just occurred to me that sounds like you on cold medicine. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Yeah. So, Jason, would you like to bust out the synopsis yeah. for the movie? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier the movie basically opens with a scene in the South Pole in Antarctica. A helicopter is chasing after a, um, a husky or an Alaskan Malamute or some kind of um, sled dog looking dog running across the, the tundra and a helicopter chasing after it, trying to shoot it. Um, the, the two people on the helicopter trying to shoot after it, which um, is where hopefully the prequel we just discussed uh, picks up on. But um, it, the dog runs into an American uh, science station. Uh, base there and the people in the helicopter consequently accidentally blow themselves up and as they're trying to shoot the dog shoot one of the people at the the base and so they shoot back and kill him and um, the dog if we can call it that turns out to be some kind of alien life form and this dog has the ability or I guess this creature, this thing, has the ability to assimilate um, any creature it comes in contact with and perfectly mimic it. So the crux of the story becomes that they, that several of the people uh, in the science crew, you know, there's uh, what um, eight eight guys there, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Wow. Yeah. Twelfth. Okay. Yep. So um, at, at any one point, most of them were alone with this alien at some point or another. And so the paranoia sets in at which one of them might be an alien. And it turns out that one or more actually is because sabotage starts to happen um, and things start to happen to cause the, the base to shut down and people to die and things to go horribly wrong. And uh, Kurt Russell plays the helicopter pilot and uh, McCready. Yes. And there is an entire cast of, of stars and uh, semi-stars, whether they were great in anything else or not, were all great in this to me. Um, and then it leaves off with a very cool cliffhanger ending, but I'm not going to give that away too much, although I'm sure we're going to have to talk about it at one point. Oh, so. yeah, we are. Yeah. So They've anyway, been given their spoiler alert. Yep. And it's uh, – so the alien you know, does some munching, does some killing, and there's some – Yeah, some. some. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so that's basically the synopsis. It's not too overly complicated. Okay. But. Well, since Dave is our guest, and uh, you know, quite frankly, just out of pity for him having to listen to us up this up close and personal, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and start with Dave. Uh, Dave, if you'd, uh, I don't know if you want to just kind of dig in a little bit. And I told Jason today, I like uh, I, another podcast I listened to commented on they were uh, talking about a movie, um, but they weren't reviewing it; they were deconstructing it. I was like, that's a good way. I like that. We deconstruct the movie. We kind of 
you know, break, take the pieces apart, kind of admire certain ones, maybe examine Sometimes some others. Sometimes we other. just destruct the movie. Well, that's so. fine. Some of them deserve it, Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> yes. So, yes, Dave, would you like to okay. begin our deconstruction process? And Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that always struck me about this movie is, is that, you know, these, these guys are together and... and uh, at, at this base and from the start even before this this creature gets there they know it's there there they there's just this tension among yeah. them. you know it's it's like they don't really they're not really getting along to begin with yeah you know it's it's just just sort of this motley group together and they're just sort of existing and nobody's really happy to be there yeah um you know the one guy complains to uh you know, Nalls to turn on the radio, which he doesn't do. And other guys just, you know, you know, he's just smoking weed out there in front of, uh, in front of Gary, you know, the guy, yeah. it's just, just kind of this breakdown of discipline and everything. And, and so you already have this tension there. Yeah. So when you introduce this, this creature into it, it kicks it up a notch. And then the fact that any one of them could be that creature. I mean, these yeah. guys didn't trust each other to begin with. Yeah. You know, and that just makes it, in this situation, that's what really makes it, I think, really, like, uh, amplifies the tension. You know, if all these guys are good friends and everything, I think it would have taken longer to get there. But, boom, they go right Absolutely. from, we, we identify this creature, boom, we don't trust anybody. Absolutely. And, and it's, yes, definitely not a very militaristic operation. It It's kind of like, you know, who can we just scrape up to live at the South Pole for a year? And yeah, you got to think this is probably the worst assignment any of them are ever going to get. Yeah. 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 And and uh, one thing that jumped out in the very beginning for me, and it's the starts right at the very beginning of the movie, is there is no lack of uh, either booze or weed in this place. Apparently, so yeah. where exactly are they? Where exactly are they growing the weed? Yeah, that, that was I was just wondering about that. <laughs> Hydroponics underneath yeah. the base. Oh yeah, there's yeah. definitely something going on. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, an interesting trivia bit uh, when when McCready is playing chess at the beginning. Uh, Dave, you may be aware of this, or Jason, you you as well, that the voice. That is on, uh, that's coming out of the computer, the female voice. Oh, yeah. Did you catch who that is? No, no. No, I didn't. It is, and at the time, she was married to John Carpenter. It is Miss Adrian Barbeau. Oh. Say it with me, gentlemen. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, so she was the, she was the voice uh, on that. And according to uh, something else I read, uh, John Carpenter himself is actually in the video that you mentioned earlier, Dave. He is one of mm-hmm. the uh, Norwegians, uh, I uh, guess, in, uh, in, in the video. So uh, I wonder if they'll get him back for the prequel. Yeah, maybe I'll have a cameo. That would be awesome. That would be great. <laughs> um, I, I got to wonder what, what cameos there are going to be, and are they going to make contact with the uh, with the American camp, even though obviously they didn't do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, in the 82 version, are they going to throw that in there as just kind of a nod to the 82? Well, yeah, the, the biggest thing that gives me, gives me well, there is, it's twofold. The the prequel, I love in the trailer that they have the original music. That especially at the end, how they you know, they end it with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, actually, they end it with, you know, it's got that same kind of, you know, it sounds yeah, exactly like Morricone yeah. stuff, and and and, mm-hmm. and and that I was like, okay, all right, echoes and and mm-hmm. and tribute and paying respect, I okay. But then they show the close up of uh, the cell um, on the cellular level, the breakdown of what the you know they, they they're going to have to have in every one of these movies where we have to see what these cells are capable of, even though they showed it in the original movie. But if you think about how we, when Doc, um, or no, it wasn't it was it um, no, it wasn't Doc? It was uh, Wolford Brimley's character, Blair. Yeah, Blair. Thank you. Blair. Uh, when he's watching it, 
you know, on his computer terminal, let's just say it didn't look quite as um, <laughs> 2011. No, yeah, it was almost like graphic. it was almost like Pong, yeah, you know, yeah. sales playing yeah. Pong. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, what would be really cool is if in the remake they set it still in 82, even with the technology. And they're going to have to do that to some extent because all the video stuff that they pick up in 82 – um, in this one, they go to the Norwegian base. They pick up – it's all VHS cassettes and mm-hmm. that Panasonic VHS player. Did you see that big Mama Jama thing? Oh, it was yeah. like 50 pounds on top of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was nice. <laughs> top loading and everything. So, I mean, hopefully it will still – that would be – to me would be awesome. That would be the best way to kind well, of uh, – Well, again, if it's going to be a remake. prequel it ha- and it's supposed to take place the three days prior – to the original so it's going to have yeah. to be an 80 for it to work unless they're yeah, going I don't, to pull like, i don't i don't think historically there have been any prequels that have had better technology than the their future events have they um no <laughs> kind of setting that one up Never yeah mind. <laughs> yeah yeah no no i i would i would hope not um although although i'm sure if we really thought long and hard about it, we could find some examples where prequels did that um yeah one or one one or two or well, three wait a minute i don't uh, i don't know wait a minute was there uh I want to say that it was a science fiction fantasy type of film where Stop it. it seems like it. all the prequels, <laughs> like everybody had better stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, it's, it's like some, some kind of haunting sense memory. Like, you know, you know, you had a nightmare, but you can't quite remember it. That's what it's like. Friggin' yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well, we nerf herders. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, yes, though they would obviously have to have it set unless, of course, they go like the weirdo wormhole route. And because you notice that uh, the, the, the base, the U.S. base was totally unaware of the Norwegian base, which wasn't that far away from them in the grand scheme of things. No, so, an hour's flight is nothing. Well, yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in that area it would be. I don't know. But. They just seemed they just definitely seem more surprised by their presence. So uh, I almost think you could make the argument maybe this does take place in 2011, but all their, you know, futzing around causes some kind of wormhole, which causes them to pop up in 1982. Oh, God, I hope not. Uh, That would be painful. (laughs) I hope not. You guys are killing my plot twist here. Just let it be. I'm just trying to justify their team. (laughs) Yes. Uh, yeah, because in 2011, they would have been recording on those old videotapes. Well, yes. Which obviously went back with uh, them. Of course, because... I'm, I'm, hold on, I'm trying to... I'm reaching, hold on. Yeah, no, I got nothing. Yeah, so, so I think we're all in agreement. If the friggin' prequel doesn't play, take place in 1982, it isn't a friggin' prequel. Right. It's called a or remake. 81, uh, as the case may be. Well, I think it's only supposed to be like three days before... Yeah, that's true, that's true. So this, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, when was the first time you guys saw this movie? Do you remember? Yes. The first time you actually saw it? Yes, I do. Was it in a theater? Dave, no, it was not. Dave, I will defer to you. No, for me it was, uh, I want to say, I, I think it was on video. And yep. it was, oh, no, it might have been on cable. Mm. Maybe it was on cable. Uh, we, uh, I want to, maybe 83, 84, yeah. somewhere around there. Mine was a little later than that. It was probably the later 80s. Um, like maybe 88, 89, that time period when I was starting to really get in, you know, I was, I was, you know, that junior high sort yeah. yeah, I started to right. really get hot and heavy into the, uh, the horror stuff, discovered Evil Dead 2 stuff, you know, the movies like that. So I, it was around that same time that, uh, cause I loved Halloween so much and I was really big into Carpenter, um, that I, I, I saw this movie out. Plus this was one of those movies, there's a handful of movies my parents told me about that, because of their reaction to it, I had to see. 
<laughs> this one was one. Uh, um, Reanimator was another one. My, oh, my, my dad's exact response was, I could finish that piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, original Alien, mainly because they just said it scared the crap out of him. Oh, yeah. And the original Black Christmas. The, those uh, yeah. are those are the like ones. Kidder, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the, those are the ones that they had always like when I was a kid. I remember them telling me, "Oh yeah, this one movie and This it, is this is exactly that movie for me because this is one of those. And my parents are pretty liberal with what movies they let me watch, and this is one of those that my dad was like, "You really shouldn't watch this." <laughs> he wouldn't, and so he he got the the uh, um, uh, I think we had the videotape of it, and, and uh, finally, I think it was probably around eighty six because I remember I was. Yeah, I'll tell you my age, but I think it was probably around 85 or 86. So you were 29? Shut up. <laughs> I was still living at home. Ah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I, he finally sat down and, and uh, let me watch it. It was just he and I and my uncle, and it was and probably like bag. 10 o'clock at night. No, <laughs> it was like 10 o'clock at night, pitch black. Of course, the way my dad watched these horror movies or any of these, all the lights out, got to be out. This movie scared the crap out of me, and I remember going back and watching it years later and trying to see, all right, now nah, I'm tough. I'm yeah. This movie still scares. The, I mean, it's got that. It's more than just a gore. It's it. It's not a boo. It's that paranoia. It's the setting. It's the colors. It's this still is one of the scariest movies. Okay, so let's get into that. So yeah. do you do you both feel like it? I mean, it held up for you. You know, at this point in your life, all the all the stuff you've seen. You're you're both jaded. You know, horror movie watchers. <laughs> it definitely holds up for me. I mean, it's still one of my uh, one of my all time favorite horror movies, and I'd have to say, you know, definitely in the top fifty of oh, of yeah. all time movies. I mean, I just absolutely love it. And I did. I see with this, I was able to. I had a kind of a different child. My my parents never watched sci fi. They never watched fantasy. They never watched horror. So I could watch those movies kind of unchecked because they never they never uh. cared. They just never watched them. I mean, they would sit there having arguments whether I should see Caddyshack. Meanwhile, I'm watching Excalibur. Well, Dave, and, Dave, and the Dave, thing and, Dave, and movies like that. Dave, yeah. yeah, there are boobies in Caddyshack. Oh, of course, there's boobies yeah. in Excalibur too. So, yes, oh there are. yeah, those, there's watch those. Right, <laughs> but they, my parents had no idea because they never watched those movies. They yeah. think, oh, okay, Excalibur got to be a kids movie. It's see, about my my dad would watch them to a to a degree. I mean, he was he, he's a huge sci-fi, you know, fantasy you know geek especially when it comes to reading and uh but so he he watched a lot of those types of films he would watch some horror not a fan of gore and you know and jason i've had this you know conversation ad nauseum <laughs> uh, about about the issue of gore and you know it being used as an effective way to tell the story as opposed to you know just for its own sake um i i i was a pretty big gore hound you know, in high school and into college but as i've gotten older and basically you know become a big wussy uh you know i i i guess i've got just become a little more sensitive to the fact that when it's used i really feel like i want it to be so assimilated in either into the story uh, as as a way to um like for instance in the thing i I, it, I mean this is a gory movie i mean i'm actually surprised that it got an r rating at the time i mean i don't know what i'm sure they had to do some level of, of cuts for the mpaa but um you know it's it's extremely extremely graphic, but it all feels it never feels like 
it's done for its own sake. Now, I know it was criticized a whole lot when it came out and it yeah. tainted the box office. Of course, it came out like two weeks after E.T. and the week. That was the that was the big problem. Well, yeah, and Blade Runner came out friendly. the same week. <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. But everybody wanted friendly aliens who, you know, eat yeah. Reese's Pieces. Of and, course. Yes. And say. <laughs> Ouch. Well, right. and it's interesting. I actually have had this uh, debate with somebody. I contend that 1982 as a whole might be the single greatest year for sci-fi, fantasy, and horror films collectively. Because okay. when that you, argument. Because, you know, obviously there was great movies that came out before and after. But as far as, like, the number of them, when you go through and realize it's Poltergeist, Road Warrior, you know, this... E.T., um, uh, Beastmaster, uh, I mean, just the list goes, Tron, the list goes, you, you know, people have their opinions about that, but the list goes on and on and on and on of the number of sort of iconic movies, Dark Crystal came out that year. So, uh, yep. you know, I, you could definitely make that argument. I, again, I know when this movie came out, one of the big knocks on it was how putrid it was and disgusting and blah, blah, blah. But I think over time, people have gone back and, and number one, and this is probably my three favorite aspects of this, besides the fact that Carpenter directed it. And uh, I, I love Kurt Russell, especially when he's in a John Carpenter movie, uh, and, you know, minus Escape from uh, L.A. <clears throat> <laughs> <sighs> Surfing snake. God help us all. God, they threw, at least they threw Peter Fonda in there too. That's true. Well, I, I guess it could it could be and Bruce Campbell in way too much latex. Uh, I, I guess it could have been worse. <laughs> they could have had a scene with him like you know frolicking around with, you know, nerf herders and Padme or something. Oh God. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it, it you know my my three other favorite things, which is where I was going with this, were the music. Love Ennio Morricone's score, even though Jason was telling me prior to this that a, he read something recently. I guess that said that. Uh, uh, the score that's in the actual movie was tweaked. Is that what you? Yeah, it's it's slightly different. If you actually look for the um, the original soundtrack, it's actually pretty hard to find. And, and it's expensive. Yeah, the copies I found uh, were like a hundred bucks for the CD. But um, apparently, the Marconi's music was tweaked a bit by Carpenter. He kind of added some elements of his own in there. And uh, Marconi, at least according to the review of the CD or the comments that were there was that he just made some disparaging remarks, not necessarily hated of it, but the music you listen to in on the CD is actually slightly different than well, it's, it sounds very carpenter. It does. You know, it, yeah. It sounds yeah. very carpenter. Yes. And I think I read that too. I have a book of interviews, uh, an interview, um, a book where somebody just basically interviews John Carpenter about all of his movies. And I was mm -hmm. looking for the damn thing before actually, we, uh, actually, what, do you remember who, it, do you remember but, who put that together? Ah, uh, boy, I can't. I, I don't remember now. I, w I, I was looking for it. I wanted to have it in front of me while we were doing well, this. Was it I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, was it called, is it called, just called The Films of John Carpenter? Because there was no. a book that came out uh, several years back, and I always meant to get a copy at, at our local you know, comic slash movie geek uh, store. They had one copy of it, and it was gone before I could uh, scrape it up. Because it wasn't cheap. The one that they had there was hardback, but that's what it was. It was pretty much just a compilation of. Uh... Yeah, this this was this is this is a uh, this is a paperback. But okay. I'm looking right now. I'm going to see if I can find it because I do want to mention it's an awesome, it's an excellent book, and he goes into detail pretty much about uh, all you know from starting with Dark Star. I oh, think it ends cool. at um, was it goes to Mars? I think it's I think yeah. it goes up that far. Let me take a look here. But I do want to mention it because it's re it oh, really no, is an excellent cool. book, and and he doesn't hold back. Here it is. The it's called John Carpenter, The Prince of Darkness. Okay, by ah. Gils 
Bollinger. That is not the book I was thinking of. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just a lot of, and and Carpenter, like, he's never one to hold back. I mean, he he goes, you know, he kind of, oh, God, who's the guy who wrote Alien? Now I'm drawing a blank on that. Dan, Dan O'Bannon, O'Bannon yeah. yeah. He kind of has a few harsh words for Dan O'Bannon. I mean, they went to school together. Yeah. They did Dark Star together. He basically said Dan O'Bannon stole everything he ever wrote. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> wow. He said Alien was, uh, I can't remember the, the the movie he said, but it's a movie that him, uh, that the two of them watched, an old black and white movie in college. And he said it basically Alien is nothing but a remake of that. Um, uh, and and uh, he said he pretty much stole the credit for Dark Star and yada, yada, yada. But anyway, it's 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 an awesome book. Uh, it's got a lot of insight into it, and he really gets into the thing, how the thing kind of ruined his career. Yeah, really, because it, it, it bombed really? so bad. Yeah, It bombed. It really oh. lost a lot of money. And that, like you said, it was his first real big studio sort of mm-hmm. uh, uh, project, and the studio said, well, obviously this guy's not mm-hmm. back. I mean, his, the next movie he did was just a, a, like an assigned project, I think, Christine. Yep. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah, because well, this was he did he did the thing right after Escape from New York, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 But, mm, but yeah. Escape from New York wasn't a big studio picture. The thing was. No. No. Now no, I yeah. would think Christine had to be a, I mean, a pretty high profile studio picture though, did it? Yeah, I, it's one that mm, I had to look at. It. See, he wasn't happy with that one either because he just he his heart wasn't in it. He said, yeah. you know, he. he and I, I like Christine. I, I, I enjoyed oh, yeah, Christine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, that was another cable movie for me way back when. And I, used to, I had it on tape. I watched it all the time. But it, he made a change from the book. Now, it's funny because the book was being published at the time the movie was being made. It's yeah. not even like they took a popular Stephen King novel here. They took one that wasn't even published yet. It yeah. was, I guess yeah. they were going to try and launch them together. But he made a major change to it um, from the book. You know, instead of having sort of this the spirit in the car, he just made the car the the creature yeah you know he didn't right, get into right. any spirit in it it's just the car was alive yep uh, and he kind of regretted it he loved the cast he thought the cast was awesome in it but he just didn't he just couldn't get into the movie you know on, on a personal level for him it was just an assignment hmm. you know and I think he and I think he felt like he had to take it because of what happened with the thing yeah, uh, yeah. which is interesting because Starman came out after Christine yes. right. So, so, which, of course, if you really want to get right down to it, is sort of like an E.T.-esque uh, sci-fi picture. So yeah. I don't know if that was Maybe his, he was doing that to yeah. placate the naysayers, you know? Yeah. It's very possible. possible. I, think it was, I think Michael Douglas produced that, too, didn't he? I think you might be right, yes. Starman? So. Yeah. I think yeah. Because yeah, Christine, Christine only did three million opening weekend in 83, at the end of 83, and then uh, has only grossed 21 uh in the u.s so budget of nine so i mean i made the money back but not huge for the for the time well that's the thing is the thing i don't even believe it made its money back theatrically i obviously once it was on video it did but right he told a story in the book they where they had a showing of it um you know and they had a uh, i guess where where they bring the they have an audience there and then they have sort of a round table discussion afterwards with the filmmakers, what they liked, what they didn't like. And uh-huh. in the book, uh, he talks about this this young, I guess, 17-year-old girl who said she didn't like the ending. She said, well, she asked what happened at the end. You know, it kind of cut off quick. And John Carpenter said, well, you know, I'm kind of leaving it up to your imagination. And her response was, oh, I hate that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he said at that moment he knew that they were kind of doomed. 
Yeah, uh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, the the um, the speaking of the ending, and I did, and, and before we get into that, I, I let me, I I opened up the idea of what my favorite things about this movie personally are, which was the music. Then the next tier is uh, Dean Kundi's, uh cinematography. Now, those that don't know, uh, Dean Kundi, uh actually prior to this, this was his fourth fourth film as a DP, I believe. He had done Halloween was his first film. Then he did The Fog. Then he did Escape from New York. <laughs> Then he did this one. And how he did not do the Elvis TV movie between, you know, which is how Kurt Russell and John Carpenter met. Come on. Come on, guys. All right. Um, uh, so, so. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, I saw that. I saw that when it was on. My you, parents were, were key on watching that one. You know, I've never seen yeah. it. Is it even available on video? I've always wanted to see uh, it's it. It's on DVD now. Yeah. I, I actually, I have a copy of it. I have not watched it. I don't think I've seen it since 79. Wow. <laughs> and it was on TV. Oh, that, that would be yeah. awesome to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the 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 cool thing. I, I, there was another TV movie, just not to completely derail it here, but uh, that Carpenter did. I believe it's called "Someone's Watching Me." I like that movie. Yeah, I did yeah, too. I, really I, I hadn't seen. I never even saw it until maybe uh, two years ago, and and uh, maybe even three. Uh, someone I uh, I met online sent me a, a copy of it uh, on disc, and uh, it, it, it's it, in some ways like I found the ending to be an extraordinarily anticlimactic, like. Yeah. Okay. It was one of those like it's a mystery, a mystery suspense thriller, but the killer at the end, you're like, do we even see this guy before? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, no. No real mystery. It's just yeah. kind of oh, there he is. Yeah. yeah. So. So. Uh, uh, but yeah. So it's interesting to see his TV work. Mm. But uh, but so Dean Cundy did the the DP stuff, and I thought the cinematography in this was great, uh, especially Absolutely. like some of the the dusk nighttime uh, shots where you've just got. Uh, that 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 just cold blue sky and just you're just seeing you know just a hint of the sunlight you know coming up through the mountain just great looks awesome uh, and uh, and my other thing that I love I am a huge huge practical special effects nerd I I, I love Rob Bottin Rick Baker Dick Smith uh, KNB the list goes on. Like Tom Savini, the list goes on and on and on. I love these guys. I love what they do. I, I think it's a, uh, a secret to like envy of mine. Like I always wish I could have done it. And uh, so Rob Bottin's effects work in this. Now, I know Stan Winston uh, is given credit for doing the dog thing. He, right, yeah, right. he did. He, he did. From what I understand, I was listening to the um, commentary yeah. Uh, just today, as a matter of fact, and the thing I don't like about commentaries is unless I watch it right after I watch the movie, yeah. I can't finish the commentary because I'm like, I got to hear what's going on in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> now, if, if I watch the movie and then immediately yeah. watch it again with the commentary, You're which good. I've done a few times, yeah. I don't have a problem. But yeah. I popped in the thing. I said, well, I've seen this so many times. Just listen with the commentary. Yeah. And about a half hour in, I'm like, screw this. I got to go to the movie because <laughs> I, I can't do it. I said, if I watch it and then if I have time, I'll do it with the commentary. And of That's course, funny. I didn't have time. But I got like the first half hour. And yes, the dog he was talking, um, that was Stan Winston. Uh, the first one I think that Rob Bottina did was when they went to the Norwegian camp and they came across uh, the um, uh, the one Norwegian who had committed suicide. Yes. And the blood had frozen. Oh, that was such a cool effect. And it was really cool. And, and, and both Carpenter and Russell on the commentary were saying how it looks better on, on camera because n nobody thought it was going to work. Yeah. Everybody thought this thing looks horrible. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's it's not going to work. Um, and, and Carpenter said, I just had my doubts. And, and I, 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 I said, you know, and Rob Bottina saying, oh, when I get the gel on it, it'll look better. Trust me. And <laughs> it's light. And he goes, people. but it looks great. You know, oh, it when looks you look 
amazing. And it looks excellent. Yeah, wait, it's yeah. funny because I think that that is the one of the biggest things that jumped out at me from this movie, which was uh, the quality of the effects work and how, and I hate using the expression, well, it holds up really well because the implication being that as if, as if, it's contingent on how it's comp- comparable to CGI That's today, which it's not. It's yeah. totally different. And, yeah, right. And I, I, I had this discussion with somebody at work not that long ago, someone other than Jason, who, who, <laughs> who we were discussing the fact that I think really what it comes down to when you see something today and, and you know it's all CGI, there's no mystery. You don't ask yourself, God, how do they friggin' pull that off? Um, they yeah. used a computer. Like, that's the answer every time. They used a computer. It's ones and zeros. There's nothing... Now, don't wrong. Some of the CGI can be beautiful and amazing, uh, but... Yeah, but something about this. One of the things about this that struck me and, and that I, I realized about what I like about movies like this that are more practical effects and, and some of the ones that build tension more than uh, just kind of laying everything straight out there. It's sort of like when you have those dreams that you can't see everything. Yeah. Like you've got blinders on or you've, you've got that feeling like you just can't see. Yes. And it's, it's the similar effect of when the movie doesn't tell you everything you feel like you don't know what's going on and it immediately puts you yep. at, at, at this uneasy yeah, feeling. This disadvantage. And this. Like the characters. Yeah. Yep. So you don't know what's going. So even though uh, one of the things I saw in the in the prequel trailer that you know I don't knock the prequel for having, but they didn't do in this, which I loved. Even the people who were taken over by the thing until they actually like monstered out, they never did any little things. No. It, it, you really were just wondering who was going to at any moment just kind of explode into this creature, and uh, a lot a lot of the scenes were no gore, no nothing going on. And, and that I thought built up to the effects. And so taking into account that the guy that had cut his throat, his wrists, they never even showed that full on from the, from the front. You kind of got shots of his hand. Yeah. You kind of got a side shot with Kurt Russell right. in the background and you got, could see through the guy's neck, but it wasn't, you know, right in your face or his head didn't pop off at some moment. So, um, I think that unknown factor plays into this really, really well, which is kind of the result of, you can't show everything f- face on or else mm-hmm. it, it gets kind of, you know, it looks kind of corny. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes. You know, like Spielberg said with Jaws, he said, you know, it, at four seconds, it, it, the, the shark looked great at 4.2. It looked like a gray turd, <laughs> you know? So it, it yep. just how much you show of it and then showing, you know, obviously, like you said, less is better in, in a lot of these. And that's how it, but I, even with CGI, I mean, I don't know about you, but one of the things that really annoys me, and this is just kind of a pet peeve maybe, are the blood spurts in CGI. Oh, God, they just they look all so look bad. Phony. Yeah. They look horrible. Yeah. I mean, Centurion, it took me right out. I mean, Centurion uh, from, I think it was just a couple years ago, had some great you know, battle scenes. It took me right out when that blood started well, to fly because it looked yeah. so phony. Well, how many action movies, you know, have you seen where somebody's getting shot and it just the bloods it just the and and i guess what i don't get is why you can't merge the two forms like you know, use cgi where like in the way it was used in forrest gump you know to accentuate right. to improve upon the limitations of practical but the idea it's it's almost like it's all or nothing like well you know because i know they're talking about now of course doing a remake of child's play and chucky will be cgi well, what? Why? Why does he need? Is no one asked why? Why can't you have it be a stupid friggin' robotic? First off, where animatronics are today versus where they were in nineteen eighty eight. 
you could do it absolutely. Plus, it's it's a child's toy. Yeah, yes, yeah, so you're going to completely you know, so lose that. Why element. not make it another child's? Why not make it a child's toy? That's exactly what Child's Play yeah. did. I mean, it was a toy from start to finish. So, yes. does it look phony with it running around? Well, okay, maybe, but it's a toy. I mean, you know what they need to know? do. They need my buddy. You remember that stupid doll? Oh, yeah. That my buddy. Well, that's what the, that's, buddy. well, that's what the good guy doll was supposed to be. You know, probably think poking fun at. I, oh I, my god, that thing was scary. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not as scary as Teddy. Not as scary as Teddy Ruxpin. Uh, that would be oh, yeah. good. Teddy Ruxpin kills. <laughs> <laughs> That would be the best. That would be impressive. <laughs> yeah. So 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 those are like my go, going back to like I said, Rob Bottin, uh huge fan of his. I I, I love effects. So, um, but but the effects of this movie are top notch. Um, I actually since that was a tangent that I left and came back to, but I came back to it leaving another tangent that I intended to come back to, but uh, don't remember what that one was. So uh, if it comes back to us, I'll. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'll I'll just say, um, yes, aside from the fact that this uh, still kind of scares me and creeps me out, I do love this movie. I think it is a fantastic flick. There's yeah. no nostalgia disorder for me either. And one of the big things that that uh, I love about movies that, well, top tier movies, one of the things that really stands out for great movies to me are are the color and the feel and how. If everything is set right, it gives you this this sensation. It's almost like you can smell or feel or taste being in the movie, you know. Yeah. And w- one of the things that immediately when I rewatched it uh, um, uh, recently for the for the show was when they go to the Norwegian camp. Yeah. That place is as scary as the inside of any haunted house. Oh yeah. It's funny you say that. Yeah, they they said that they that Carpenter referred to that as the haunted house shot. And mm-hmm. the, the 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 guy got as far as that in the commentary. I think that that was the that was kind of what they were going for with that. So it's interesting you picked up on that. That's exactly what they were shooting for. But even when the yeah, it was even when they got back to um, the American camp, everything was there was a lot of wood. Um, there was a lot of uh, kind of dim hallway lighting. Um, there there was a lot of this kind of rustic feel to it. I mean, it's supposed to be a weather station, but yeah, it is kind of in a remote area. But it also felt like um, almost like it was a ghost town, even the one that they were living in. And even when they were there, it's sort of like you said before the alien really came into the picture. Yeah, that tension that yeah. the mood was still there. The place yeah. still yep. felt creepy. <laughs> and, yep. <laughs> and I have another and I have another argument to make. I think. There's another reason why this movie bombed, and I apply it uh, to another movie that came out some 14 years later, which was uh, Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. That movie came out, I believe it was right around when Independence Day did. It, it was that same month. It was in June or right early July in the summer. I have a theory, and I don't think it's anything original. I'm sure many other people have thought this as well, but certain movies, certain stories, it just lend themselves better to certain times of year they feel like you're saying jason the feel of them yeah. they it feels seasonal Th- this movie should have been released late fall <laughs> or winter uh the frighteners was originally supposed to come out on halloween because that's peter jackson's birthday apparently i, I believe that is um yes, is. and and uh you know so that we, it, and the frighteners w- might it could be completely wrong it still might have tanked but I think it would not have I think it would have done better had it been released and number one, the competition level in October is not yeah. nearly as high as it is in the middle of the summer. Now I understand they think that they've got this great winner of a movie, but you have to consider all those aspects and I think the thing would have greatly benefited from being released much yeah, later the in the year. 
Yeah, because it feels like I, a winter film to me. It obviously. does. It absolutely <laughs> does. It it's certainly not. And they had to know ET was coming. Yeah. I mean, there, there was no secret. Yeah. <laughs> no. They, they had to know they were going to be going to be going up against a you know a Spielberg. Well, I guess nobody knows how big it's going to be when it comes out. Yeah. I mean, let's look at Howard the Duck. But, yeah, true. you know, it, it has that – it's a Spielberg movie. Yeah. And they had some time to react. I mean, I, I – it's almost as if – I don't know. I don't even know. Maybe the studio didn't have any faith in it. I don't know. But you're absolutely right. I mean, even with just with the setting, it, it's definitely uh, late October. Yeah. You know, mid yeah. to late October yeah. to release that. And I yeah. think it I think you're right. I think it, it would have found a it would have found a better audience anyway, at least yeah. one that was more receptive. E.T. Yes. would have been would have been well past it by that point. Of course, I of course I, I seem to remember somebody telling me that and I and I've made reference to the, the mall twin cinema that played in our, our little hometown in central Florida. I think E. T. played at one of those theaters for like two years straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was insane. Like it, it was played a long time. For, it played for a very long time. Yeah. yeah. And it was a movie. I enjoyed it when I was a kid, but it was never one of the ones like I Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think I saw that. I went back three times and I lived kind of in a remote area. I mean, uh -huh. I had to convince my parents to drive me and pay for me to see a movie again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it didn't happen very often, but I was able to do that with Raiders three times because I loved it. Yeah. E.T. Yeah. was never a movie that I had to see more than, you know, it's not like I had to see that more than once. See, E.T. Yeah, yeah. E. really is the movie, I think, where I became self-aware of my love for movies. I used to mm. say it was a movie that made me fall in love with movies. I don't know about that. But I definitely remember, because I was only six, seven-ish when it came out, but I, it's one of the earliest memories, though I can remember being in movies earlier than that, but that's one of the earliest memories where I can remember consciously thinking about how other people were reacting to it and being cognizant of that kind of thing. Yeah, well, uh, that was the perfect age for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the age you had, I think I was... Uh, Thir 12 or 13 see and jason was like 22 so he was completely <laughs> I saw it with my girlfriend yeah he and then like they went back to his mom's house and they went to the basement and watched caddyshack yeah Except but I, it wasn't I'm, on video yet no i'm with you though david it, it it never i never thought it was a bad movie and i saw it in the theaters and uh saw it with my folks and i remember you know bits and pieces of it from watching it um i've obviously watched it many more times since then but it was right. never one that set me uh, down that spiral of God, I love movies, and there have been plenty since then that I have, like you, watched um, over and over and over again. And um, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a bad movie. I have no knocks to it really, other than it was kind oh, no, of no, no. I I think but, it was very. I think it's. I think it's a. You know, I think it's an excellent film. I really do. It's just not one that I said, "Wow, I can't wait to see that one again." I can't I'll wait to tell sit you, down and see I'll, that. I'll one. tell you what. Of the two, I would have rather have seen this. Uh, yes, at the time. I would agree. <laughs> so uh, we're going to wrap it up with this point, gentlemen. And I believe I am right. <laughs> Always. Always. <laughs> no, but, but I am right. Han shot first and should have. But that being said, and I am right, Terry O'Quinn is awesome. But <laughs> that being said, gentlemen, who, who was the thing in the end? Childs or McCready? I would have to go with Childs. If I was picking one, I would uh -huh. have to go with Childs because he's the only one who was off camera long enough. Okay, Jason, your turn. Go ahead and be wrong. I'm going to have to say it's McCready. Of course you are. Only because. Get, you, oh, God, of course. No. Oh, no. What? I'm going to. Or I just have to guess. No, I'm glad you picked McCready just so I can just decimate your entire <laughs> argument. Course. Go ahead. Of course. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Of course you don't know it's up to your imagination. But the only thing that led me to believe it was him was at the very end. Spoiler, spoiler. There's just the two of them left. Uh -huh. He's got his bottle of of 
J and B takes a swig off of it, sits down, and then they're talking, and he hands the bottle to Childs, and as soon as Childs takes a drink, that's when McCready he kind of cracks a smile. As soon as he drinks, he cracks a smile. So, so you're I'm basing thinking, your entire theory on him cracking a smile. Well, it's a subtlety. Really. In a movie where a guy has his arms bitten off by another man's stomach mouth. <laughs> Subtlety is suddenly Subtle, Yeah, subtlety might not be the key. Okay. Now here's why I'm gonna here's here's for me here's the reason why I think it was Childs. Oh, there's a shock. Number one, Childs is the only character that pretty much from the point when he disappeared there in the last fifteen minutes of the movie and we don't see right. him again till the very end. McCready we see always with someone else so unless Mc, the only t- point where it could have more mccready could have turned is when he was left out in the snow but if that's the case then the entire rest of the movie wouldn't make sense because why the hell if he was the thing would he have gone out of his way to expose your thing unless you want to argue that no he did that to cover his own butt okay but then when he's exactly. alone Aha. Uh-huh. But when he's alone with the Blair thing at the very, very end of the movie, which we didn't even get an opportunity to go into, that was a huge, in my opinion, massive, like, what? He had, like, right. a, a day and a half and he built a spaceship? I, how? But that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, oh, the little spaceship. Yeah, yeah. Why right. would he blow up one of his own? Well, right. one question I did have. Uh, when he was, was alone with him. When, when he was, was alone with him. It was like he was somebody yeah, else. He was true. just doing it for look. Yeah. You know, doing it for yeah. giggles. I actually, honestly, never questioned it until you brought it up. The, when we were talking about it, I always just kind of took it at face value. McCready's the good guy, and he's always the good guy, and so I always thought it was Childs. But then at the end, I'm like, oh, maybe maybe it could be him. I don't know. But yeah, the, the other thing is, how much time passed? Because they didn't really... I'd say a couple days. Yeah. Like a 48-hour window, somewhere in that, 36 to 48 hours. I don't think it was just a day, but it was longer than a day, but it was only a couple days. And honestly, yeah. I don't understand how the hell Blair could have built a spaceship. I don't give a crap if he's the thing or not at that point. And that's the other thing. When did, when did Blair turn? Because was he the thing when he was hacking up all the equipment? It didn't seem like that. It seemed like he no. was just crazy. Uh, okay, so when did he become the thing? Did the thing go when, out to him and make him a thing? And then, But then that means he had even less time to build the friggin' spaceship. Okay, right. stop. Pause. Pause. It was when he got locked up out there. Uh-huh. He was normal uh-huh. then he got left out there for a while and then when they popped out and checked on him and he said no i'm doing much yeah, with better the, now. with the noose hanging in the fork yes when he right. says i really want to come inside please let me come inside oh, no, i'm really good i'm good guys at that point i figured that's probably when the thing had come out there opened it got in the room with him turned him into it and i, I eat my quaker's oats let me in guys <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah well and besides they, the spaceship the spaceship wasn't finished wasn't there one panel not done yeah i think there was like a panel missing <laughs> So it's not totally implausible. That's true. I mean, he, just, he, he finished. He finished ninety-five percent of it. There was still five percent to go, and and you know he just needed that extra ten minutes. I guess that's to how the it. that's how the prequel is going to be awesome, guys. They're going to somehow f- explain that that whole tunnel system went all the way back to the Norwegian camp, ah. and they started it like it four is. days before this movie even started, and decided if it's got to end somewhere, let's end it at the tool shed. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> and then my only other question is. What the hell happened to Fuchs? Or uh, he burned himself. Okay, uh, but why? Like, right? Because he was getting taken over. Yeah, yeah. That felt like one of those. You know what? That it, only thing I'll give it is it almost felt like an homage to the original thing, where it was that 1950s style of sci-fi B movie where we can't really show you what happened because it was so horrible. So we're gonna have all the characters come out and react to it. You're gonna <laughs> see a pile of ash. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Possibly. 
that's possible. The- yeah, that was that that part's a little because it took me a few times of watching it to even f- realize that that guy had <laughs> yeah, just a- dropped off. You know, yeah. I didn't even pick that up the first couple times. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, well, okay, yeah, they're talking about him burning himself, but who is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I always found that to be very um, confusing. So, uh, uh, and, and then uh, one other thing, the uh, apparently there was two endings shot, but no one has ever seen the alternative. It was a happier ending, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. in that ending, McCready um, is alive. He is the good guy. Um, and Childs, I don't know if he, I think what it is is that they said Windows got the call all out before um, Blair went ballistic and busted mm-hmm. up all the equipment. And mm-hmm. so as McCready's just starting to die, the rescue team gets there and gets to him um, and, and saves him. And I guess Childs is either, you know, they think he's dead or whatever. But the implication, of course, being that Childs still has, is the thing and McCready right. is not. Um, so I, but I, for whatever reason, and they said that they did two different test audiences and they never showed that version to any of them, which I thought was right. kind of odd. So, well, it's a dead man. I mean, you know, yeah, if they're going to rescue them, why not do it in the middle of the night during a storm? Yeah. That's perfect yeah. time to yeah. send out the rescue vehicle. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, Windows sounded very scared. Yeah. So, his name's yeah, because winter in Antarctica is when I definitely flying yeah. around. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, totally. That's not <laughs> dangerous. Now, I, I love the ending of this movie. I love how, uh, you know, I, I actually like to use my imagination. So, um, yep, I, absolutely. I like that we can yep. have debates even though Jason's wrong. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, uh, Jason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. You want to get into our picks? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, I will now play the music. <laughs> Because he brings up his pod producer and it's taking <laughs> Okay, let's try that again. At least you're prepared. Uh, yes. That was the sound of Jason's thing theory exploding. <laughs> it's not a theory. I'm just tossing darts. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so, Jason... What is your, uh, and for those that are old-time listeners, but maybe this is the first episode you've listened to in a while, um, we, you, we uh, for the longest time, did our, our six flicks picks. Um, Jason and I decided we're lazy, and the fact that <laughs> at that rate, we would have gotten through pretty much every movie made in the 1980s within the first year of... <laughs> um, and i got to be honest with you, trying to thematically match six movies up and not be completely pulling it out of one's butt is really difficult. So we decided, you know what? We're going to mix it up a bit. We're going to do a movie recommendation and we're not going to tell each other and it's going to be a big surprise. And, and, and if we both... And we're just going to do one. And they ha- <laughs> the Kelly rule is they have to be in some way, shape, or form connected to the movie at hand. And I'm going to throw in a rule change at the last minute and say, he who has the strongest connection to that movie wins uh, <laughs> and let me guess you're the judge oh no no i think it's pretty obvious i mean you could say well this has you know one connection no, this it's... has three connections i mean i can do one plus oh wait okay yeah the guy with three connections wins jason <laughs> which okay, will probably be win. dave in this case uh-huh. win. um okay so i'll start okay and my only connection oh god <laughs> It's the theme of the movie. I didn't connect people or characters or anything, but I actually chose Invasion of the Body Snatchers, not the really old one. Uh, um, I believe it was the the 30s or 
forties that they came out. Uh, what, the, the original version came out in nineteen fifty nine. Oh, it was fifty eight. Okay. Later fifties, like yeah, fifty seven, sure. fifty nine, somewhere in that range. Yeah, second yeah, no, half I'm, of the fifties. I'm talking about the one that I saw first, which was the uh, seventy eight version with Donald mm-hmm. Sutherland and Jeff Goldblum, and uh, you know, yeah. So um, I we don't have in a whole lot of time, but basically it's it's the story of people who are being replaced by aliens, and they are people recognize that they are just somehow different and they're being slowly replaced by these pods and of course in the original it was uh, you know more um play on the pod people but uh um it happens in a big city but it's the same kind of paranoia about who's real and who's not and uh they don't really show you there's no visual thing when they're when you're interacting with them so um i thought it played up the same kind of good paranoia that the thing does with who do who's replaced by aliens and who's not and so Absolutely. anyway i'll leave it at that 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Excellent, excellent choice. Um, and and we're going to let you every other thing. Wow, guys, really polite. Let your guests go last. But yes, we are because Dave is awesome at movie recommendations, and he's probably going to make us both look stupid. So, <laughs> which like he hasn't already done that. I don't know about that. I like that uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes, I do too. And in fact, this was about to be the first episode where we really, really did the. The, well, I guess we did do it in the Monster Squad, but okay, the second episode, and Jason, you and I almost had the same movie, because up until about 30 minutes before this, that was the one I was doing. So, oh. <laughs> that was close. Yeah, and I was going to do 1978 version, and by the way, 56 was the uh, the original. Okay. Yes. Okay. 30s, 40s, what am I even thinking? God. I don't know. Cold uh, medicine. Well, well, wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> black, and, black and white. Yeah, black, yeah. yeah. black and white movies, it's all the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. Okay. My choice was The Howling from 1981. I chose this movie for not one, Jason, but two reasons. It is connected to the... (laughs) (laughs) It is connected to the thing for two reasons. I bet... Can can either of you guess what the first obvious reason is? Boaton? Yep. That would be it. Yes, Mr. Rob Boutine, the special effects master. Boutine, yep. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm yeah, no, I think I'm you're not, right. I'm, I'm think not, right I'm not one to talk on name pronunciation. No, I think you're right. Yes. <laughs> Just ask Jason Onion. So, yes, Rob Boutine did the effects for this film. Now, it's interesting to note this came out the same year as American Werewolf in London, which had 10 times the budget. If you haven't seen The Howling, it is based on a Gary Bradner novel. It is a werewolf picture directed by Joe Dante, he who gave us Gremlins. Uh, uh, Piranha and uh, uh, Small Soldiers. And it starred Eddie <laughs> Wallace and a guy I swear to God I thought was Tom Atkins until I was, I like my sense of memory was, oh, Tom Atkins, was, wasn't he the husband in that? Uh, no, it was a guy named Christopher Stone who actually passed away in the mid-90s and I completely didn't even catch that. <laughs> but uh, Boutine working on a budget of around a million bucks created... Some really amazing werewolf transformations. Um, I'm not going to go into the story of the movie. It's basically D. Wallace is a reporter. She was attacked uh, by this guy, serial killer, who also was a werewolf. And she ends up, she and her husband move out to this sort of rural hippie new age community and really bad things happen. So, uh, but what was the other connection? Well, oh, I'm getting there, my friend. Because this one's <laughs> this one's good, and to be and in in for full disclosure, um, I am I pretty much picked up on this about two minutes before we started because I was going through the cast list. I was like, oh crap, he was in that too. And to be fair, it is a bit of a stretch because it's not really technically connected to the eighty two the thing. 
But Kenneth Toby, who was in the original Thing from Another World, was also had a bit part in The Howling. And you may really visualize his face even better if you visualize him as the gas station attendant um, with the smokeless ashtray, courtesy of Rand Peltzer in Gremlins. Remember that guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Christmas Eve or whatever, whenever it was that he's Mm -hmm. going to. Yes. So, yes, it uh, Kenneth Toby, who was also in the original The Thing, was in The Howling because Joe Dante, Mm. awesome like that. He always puts classic sci-fi folks in his pictures. So that was my choice. The Howling from 1981. Good. Excellent. Very good. Dave, did you have either of ours on your... Uh... I did not. Nice. Uh, I came up with a whole group of them here. I, I Because of the fact that there could have been some carryover, I came up with three of them. And I'm not going with any of my three. I just thought of another one. Oh. oh. Ladies and gentlemen, this so... is a first on the Forgotten <laughs> Flicks podcast. Off the cuff. Off the top of his head. <laughs> See what happens when you have a brain, folks? This, I did the same thing. And I was going through casts. And um, I came across uh, this one movie that I remembered. This is a cable movie for me. I haven't seen it in a lot of years. I know it is on DVD. Um, very different uh, subject matter from what we're talking about here. But uh, it's from 1985. It yes. is The Best of Times. Ah. It's a comedy. And it stars Kurt Russell and Robin Williams. It's about uh, these two guys. They're trying to recapture their past glory, so they kind of reform their high school football team. Robin Williams plays a guy who dropped the pass. Kurt Russell was the quarterback who, you know, as as it gets you know as it gets deeper, his his legend just uh, gets stronger. You know, now uh-huh. it's up. He threw six yeah. touchdowns in He's the Al game. Bundy. You know? <laughs> yeah, and meanwhile he threw three, and you know, and his life's kind of falling apart. So uh, not only does it have Kurt Russell, it also has Donald Moffat, who played Gary. Uh, nice. He plays a character called the Colonel. Yes. Uh, not that I remember him, but um, he was in this movie as Ladies well. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Becker wins. That is a stronger connection to 1982's The Thing. <laughs> yeah, he's got two characters yep. in there. So. Yep. Thank you. I had another one with two of them also. It was The Right Stuff that had, uh, oh, yeah. uh, that had Donald Moffat. He played Lyndon Johnson in that movie. And the guy who played Palmer... Uh, it, he was just listed as liaison man. Don't ask me who the hell that was. I don't know. <laughs> liaison man. He right. was the star of the right stuff. <laughs> liaison man. That means poorly paid extra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, or slightly, <laughs> slightly better paid day player or something. Right. right. Yes. <laughs> oh, that, that was a good pick, man. Yeah, actually, I have not seen that movie in a very long time, and I think the last time I saw it was on HBO when I was. Like, that was the last time I yeah. saw it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, that would have been the last time I saw it, but I saw it probably ten times when it was on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very cool, very cool. And that, that, was a, that was a nice pick. We were kind of all over the map on that one. I was straight up horror. Jason was sci-fi. And uh, and you went the dr- dramedy route, which was very cool. All right, excellent. <laughs> so, uh, gentlemen, any, uh, any, any final words before we go into all the wonderful contact information, all the housekeeping, as it were? No, I just going to say, if you're planning on going out to see the original, definitely dust off your VHS DVD or Netflix and got to see the original before you go out and see the prequel. Prequel. Absolutely. And Dave, you want to tell the good folks where they can find you? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I have uh, my site, dvdinfatuation.com. Um, you can check me out there. Also the best picture podcast. And that's, uh, I think that's just the best picture mm-hmm. You can check it out there, but there's also a link to it on my site. Yep. And, um, I had a great time guys. I'm a big fan of the show and thank you very much for having well, me. It, it was, it was our pleasure. Um, I, I, I deeply honored. I, I find, I, 
listened to the first episode of the uh, Best Picture podcast and highly recommend it. If you are a film buff, film aficionado, if you're big into film history, if yeah, they go in depth. And the first year you guys did was uh, 72, right? Because it was the, yes. the Godfather. Um, yeah, I got to pick that one. Yeah, very yep. nice. Very nice. And uh, it's it's great. I mean, listening to two really smart dudes in a very entertaining way talk about really good classic films and which, uh, which in a way is really kind of the complete doppelganger of our show well, we're like the foil idiots talking to, about we're, we're like the foil <laughs> to their really good intelligent podcast we're we're, we're nah, balancing guys, out the light side you guys i i as i said i told you this joe you guys are plenty intelligent you just like to have fun with it and that's why the show is so great we're like the rosencrantz and guildenstern and you guys are like the hamlet <laughs> Which I don't know if that was really a compliment, but yeah. Oh, well. uh, so definitely, definitely check it out. And his uh, Which his... Hamlet? Are we talking Branagh or are we talking Oh, Olivia? Mel Gibson. Oh, no. Oh, we're, Gibson. We're... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Wow. Smacking his face. <laughs> Jeez. I was going to say Olivier. <laughs> Screw both of you. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, uh, and also a DVD infatuation. It's very cool. He's got tons of reviews over there. I, I know you guys said it in the podcast. How many reviews are you up to? Three hundred and now I got four twenty. I want to say it's four hundred twenty some now. I've been going every day. I started August seventh, two thousand ten. I've posted one a day since then. I'm up to I think it was four. I can't four twenty three, four twenty four somewhere and your goal around there. Twenty five hundred. I'm sorry. Isn't the goal obviously twenty five hundred? Is that goal the goal? Uh, is I'm not going to stop till twenty five hundred, which means I'm going to be doing this for a very long time. Indeed. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> it's it is kind of funny how how it all kind of works out at the end because uh, I've I guess I met you on Twitter. It's yep. obviously been in the in. It's not even been a year. I'm assuming it's probably been in the months, and yet it seems like it's it's so weird how this whole. Uh, you know, social media experience happens because you feel like even though you never, this is the first time you and I've ever talked. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, and I did call into the show one yes, time. Yes, you um, did. What was that? I think I was talking about, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, oh. oh, the director of um, uh, Death Race 2000. Yes. You're yes. talking about Paul Bartel. Paul Bartel. That's right. You called in with that. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's I remember. Right. That's, yep. That was what it was. But I did come across you guys uh, on Twitter. Um, and I started listening to the show and I was like, wow, this is really, this is really cool. You're talking about a lot of these movies that I really enjoy. And I thought it, uh, you know, and it started from there, but you're right. It, it, it's interesting how it goes because you, you kind of develop these relationships and it seems like it lasts a lot longer. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It's been, I, I mean, I don't remember when it was, I called in, it's not that long ago. No, it really wasn't. And <laughs> no. it's funny because when I, when I, when you guys made the comment on the podcast that you were up to 300 something reviews and not to diminish that, that's amazing. But I knew mm -hmm. I, I just had in my head, I was like, well, he's been doing this for so long. And then you said how long you, I was like, Holy crap! Wait a right. minute, <laughs> and I've only really known. Yeah, him all of a sudden it's like, wait, he's not doing one a day. What is it? One a week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> but but it, it was weird. It was like, it, it was just it. It seemed Looking at the speed of the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It just it's it's just bizarre how this this whole experience kind of changes your perception of, you know, interacting with people and how well Absolutely. you think you know people versus what you, anyway. I, I've developed so many friends uh, yeah. through podcasting, through Twitter, through everything, and, and uh, odds are, I don't know that we'll ever meet face-to-face. -face. That's probably one of the most amazing things, yeah. you know? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, we all had to do like a, like a, a pod camp type of thing where it's like in the middle of the like country so that everybody can come right there. Oh, wait, they'd be a good, yeah, be a good they, horror movie. Oh, that's true. And then while we're there, <laughs> Rob Botine, Tom Savini, 
show up. Tim Thomerson. Yeah, Tim Thomerson's there. And he's, he's, he, yeah. And then I follow him around uh, with a man crush until I realize Terry Quinn's there. And then I follow him around. <laughs> and then they sick Tom Savini on me and he kicks my ass. And then he, but he, and then he sprays all that really, like, really bad fake blood from like Dawn of the Dead where it's got that pinkish hue to it all over me. Yeah. So I think they used some peanut butter in that. Did they really? I think so, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that was the one. I think that you threw peanut butter in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes forget, even though we obviously go down some vulgar rabbit trails, that this is a clean podcast. And I was going to say something wildly inappropriate about peanut butter. <laughs> so I'm just going to save that one, put it in the pocket, talk about it later. So, Jay. Wait for the blooper show. Yeah, that's right. Jay, would you like to uh, hit us with the voicemail? Yeah, that'll be on the special features. DVD. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give us a call anytime, anywhere, 206-203-0491, and all long-distance rates apply if you so do pay them. Yeah, dumb question. I'm just going to ask it, Dave. Did you have, do you, because when you call on a cell phone, there sh- it shouldn't, does it matter? There isn't any kind of. No, no, it was, I, I, not that I, not that I saw. So I guess not it would be somebody maybe calling from a landline. Well, I don't pay the bill anyway, so what do ah. I know? Oh, okay. Well, that <laughs> could have cost 20 bucks. I don't have any yeah. clue. <laughs> now, I, no, I would have heard. No, I don't believe so. I don't think yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know what? Just to be safe, we add that in. Uh, you could obviously check us out, ForgottenFlix.com. We're on iTunes. Please go there, download, subscribe, leave a review. Be nice. And... Uh, <laughs> God, I'm so pathetic. So uh, we also can be found on the Facebooks, which I think we've been averaging a new person liking us per day. So I figure at this rate, we may have like, I don't know what. 80? Maybe? 20? <laughs> 6? I don't know. Something like that. Um, oh, stop it. I know. I'm just kidding. No, it's actually been it's gradually. And to be fair, we've kind of neglected <laughs> Facebook. And of course, we're on Twitter. I am Forgotten Flicks. Jason is Flicks Sidekick. And on that note, gentlemen, and I'm sure I forgot something, but on that note, any final words? Nah, I, guess. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> and like last week, please stay tuned to the uh, after the music plays because it'll be a little treat for you. I'm not saying it's a good treat. I'm just saying it's a little treat. <laughs>